James Madison, I think, summed it up the best. Public debt is a public curse. And in a Republican form of government, the worst of its kind. So, Eddie, my mantra as the budget chairman for the United States House of Representatives is reverse the curse because it will curse the country and it will destroy the greatness of America. And I don't want to be a part of the first generation of American leaders that hand the country worse than we found it to our children and grandchildren. That is Congressman Jody Arrington of the Lubbock-based 19th Congressional District of Texas. He's an old-school Republican who believes if his constituents in West Texas have to tighten their belts to live within their means, then by God, Congress should do the same. He's proud to represent an area of the state that produces both food and fiber, and he's equally as proud to chair the U.S. House Budget Committee, where he spends a lot of his time persuading, cajoling, convincing, debating, and wrangling his fellow colleagues to stop spending money that we do not have. We'll talk about his district, the debt limit deal, China, and a lot more as we go Beyond the Bite with West Texas Congressman Jody Arrington. First of all, thanks for joining me. It's been a a while since I've seen you, but we're delighted to have you here with us today. You're the fifth congressman from the 19th Congressional District. I've had the good fortune to work with uh, all five of you including the original, uh, the Honorable George Mahon, Chairman of the House Appropriations. I got to meet him when I was a, uh, a freshman or sophomore in high school. But what do you want people to know about the 19th Congressional District? I want people to know that uh, rural America, which is often overlooked, people refer to parts of the country like West Texas as flyover country, President Trump called uh, rural Americans part of the forgotten men and women of our nation. And I think that's true. We take for granted that we have the lowest percentage of discretionary spending of our families on food because of the quantity and quality of ag product we produce in this country. And we also are able to feed our own citizens We talk about energy independence, but food security is national security. So I would say what I want people to know is that the God-fearing, freedom-loving, hardworking people in West Texas and other parts of rural America are contributing a tremendous amount to our nation's economy, our quality of life, and our national security just by uh, producing our nation's food. Uh, preponderance of our nation's food and fuel supply. And then lastly, but most importantly, more than just being the energy basin or the breadbasket, West Texas is the backbone of the Lone Star State. We still have that cowboy spirit. We still have that indomitable can-do spirit and the love for neighbor, the pride in the country, the love for the land. That, That, I think, is the essence of what makes Texas, Texas, and what makes what made America great from the very inception. When I was a sophomore at Texas Tech University, uh, one of the best jobs I've had in my life was getting to do play-by-play announcing for a Floyd Data radio station. <laughs> um, so we're going to do a quick speed round, and you tell me if these football teams are in the 19th Congressional District. I remember doing games for the Idaloo Wildcats. 
Uh, you yes. back, go Wildcats. Okay. The Rawls, Jackrabbits. Go Jackrabbits in 19th. Uh, mules, you mules. All day, every day. Don't want to be kicked by, don't want to be kicked twice by a mule. <laughs> the Abernathy Antelopes. Yes. Boy, you, this is, this is awesome. The Floyd Data Whirlwinds. Yes, sir. I got all of Floyd County in the last redistricting. So now I know you're from Hale County. So, and I, I'm assuming is Hale Center in Hale County, the Hale Center Owls? The home of, uh, the great speaker, Pete Laney. You bet it is. Okay. And I thought it, what about Silverton? I thought they were the owls as well. Are they the owls? Silverton would be in Ronnie Jackson's district, just okay, north. So just outside. All right. I get all the way to Tulia, but uh, now that they've redistricted, but my hometown, the Plainview Bulldogs are uh, part of the district. They're the, 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 one of the larger communities before you punch up into the uh, uh, northern part of the panhandle. Well, this was back in the day. This was in the late 70s when I had to do all the high school play-by-play on a cassette recorder. And then (laughs) I had to go to the Floyd County Sheriff's Office because that was the only thing that was open at 10 o'clock at night when the games were over. And I had to drop off the cassette and they would, the radio station would run it the next morning. But I have very fond memories of your congressional district I know the spirit of the people that you talked about from the 19th, uh, from the South Plains, from West Texas. As budget committee chairman, you spend a lot of time talking about the national debt. And I'm not sure people really comprehend how big it is. And we're going to come to the debt limit deal in a minute, but just talk about the national debt. And you said something in a committee hearing recently that really took me by surprise. And that was that our bureaucracy of federal as a federal government has grown by 40% since 2019. Is that accurate? That's correct. So tell me, when you see the national debt, how do we continue to grow government by at that rate? Well, you know, some of my colleagues never let a good emergency or an unprecedented situation like the pandemic pass them by without expanding the government. Look, there were things we had to do, Eddie, and we did them to to make sure that we didn't experience a, a more protracted economic adverse impact from COVID. But but we should never have spent the partisan two trillion dollars without without bipartisan consensus. We should have never spent that two trillion dollar last COVID package on things that were not relevant to COVID. There was the bailout of of the union pension in that that had nothing to do with COVID. You had teachers unions benefiting where they would not open the doors to their students and the children suffered, but they were still getting paid. It, it just was imprudent, to say the least, and excessive. And it flooded the market with federal funds. It overstimulated demand vis-a-vis supply. Supply was getting hammered by increases in taxes by this administration regulations especially with oil and gas or energy production and it was a it was a uh, recipe for an economic disaster which is what we've experienced record inflation the fastest rise in interest rates in modern history in the last 30 years and an economy that has quickly sliding into recession we've had three declines in gdp 
the CBO predicts that GDP this year will be 0.1%. And then we have the a, a debt crisis looming large over the horizon with this unsustainable 123% debt to GDP and climbing. We're spending $650 billion just to pay the interest on the debt. And in two years, Eddie, we'll spend more on interest as a nation than all of national defense. So the gap between what we bring in in revenue and what we spend to fund this massive and growing government is $1.5 trillion. That's the annual deficit today. In 10 years, it will double to $3 trillion, according to nonpartisan CBO. And interest will triple to $1.5 trillion more than defense, combined with veterans, combined with homeland. It's unsustainable. I mean, that's that's the punchline, right? The trajectory we're on is unsustainable, and we're on a crash course for a sovereign debt crisis, which will knock the shine off the shining city on a hill. It will undo the economic greatness. It will compromise our national security, and it will affect our children's way of life, quality of life, and America's leadership in the world in the future. That's how catastrophic this will be if we don't wake up, like you said, the debt clock keeps ticking. People take for granted that there'll be no consequence to printing the money and to borrowing from China and others ad nauseum. There will be a payday someday, and more than likely, it's going to come within the next decade or two, and it will fall on the heads of our children, which is why, by the way, and I'll end with this, I don't want to depress your listeners or or give them nightmares every night between now and the next time we talk. Our founding fathers, every one of them, warned against the current fiscal condition that we're in. Uh, uh, George Washington, in his farewell address, said three things to be careful of. Foreign influence, political factions that will divide us. Those two sound familiar or, or look familiar. And then uh, fiscal irresponsibility. He said, look, we're going to need to take on debt to fight wars, but then we have to responsibly bring the debt down afterwards. We did that after World War II, which is when we were in the the second most indebtedness of our country. But now, because of entitlement growth, mandatory spending, we're going to see exponential growth in spending. It's And we're in peace and prosperity, relatively speaking. But but James Madison, I think, summed it up the best. A public debt is a public curse, and in a Republican form of government, the worst of its kind. So, so Eddie, my mantra as the budget chairman for the United States House of Representatives is reverse the curse because it will curse the country and it will destroy the greatness of America. And I don't want to be a part of the first generation of American leaders that hand the country worse than we found it to the, to the, to our children and grandchildren. So you talked about emergencies being used uh, to dole out money. Are we going to be able to claw back some of the money that was not, uh, not used that was appropriated for COVID some of the emergency money, are we going to be able to claw some of that back? We'll claw some of it back. Uh, We should have been able to claw all 60 uh, roughly billion dollars that was left because we've been two years, you know, outside of the um, main part of the pandemic. 
And so all the dollars that could flow to COVID-related um, needs have been satisfied. I'm disappointed that we the Democrats wouldn't agree that we needed to, to, to rescind all of that and send it back to the Treasury and reduce our deficit. So, yeah, we will we will claw back some, but not all of it. But the bigger piece, when you think about the growth in government, that 40% since COVID, and, and by the way, CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, projected right before COVID, they did their annual projections out 10 years. They said that by this time, in, from 2019, we would be spending somewhere about $400 billion less than we're spending today. So by every measure, we are way overextended on the expense side. We're way overdue for, for a right size of the bureaucracy. And that's why, even though it's not enough to save the country, uh, and you're not going to save the country in one debt deal or one budget deal or one anything, it's going to take, like it did after World War II, probably a couple of decades. But I will say, to reduce spending year over year for the next two years on the discretionary side, which is only 25% of the budget, we got to talk about entitlement reform if you're serious about the debt drivers. But to bend that spending curve year over year for the next two years, and then to get some economic reforms like permitting process reforms that will help oil and gas and infrastructure development in this country, I think that's significant. I think it's meaningful. And to have a Democrat Senate, Democrat president, and us only occupying one of the tripart part of the negotiations, I think we came out much further ahead than we than we anticipated and that we would have if we did what we've done in the past, which is just kick the can down the road, give the president a blank check and just continue business as usual. Coming up with the idea for this podcast was easy. I saw an opportunity to help tell stories from the intersection of business, public policy, and politics. But planning, strategizing, and executing turned out to be the hard part. And that's when I knew I needed help. So I turned to Every Word Media. Nick Chamberlain showed me what I needed to do and by when I needed to have it done if we were going to launch on time. To be honest, I could not have launched Beyond the Bite without the help of Every Word Media. They are the ultimate podcast production partner, and they handle everything from production to promotion. So if you want to elevate your message and inspire your audience, then start your podcasting journey with Every Word Media. If you want to learn more, call Nick at Every Word Media, and you can find them at everywordmedia.com. That's everywordmedia.com, and tell them Eddie sent you. Speaker McCarthy appointed you to spearhead the effort on the debt limit deal. What are the good things that came out of that? Because people hear different things. Tell us some of the good parts of the deal. Yeah, look, the debt ceiling uh, is a reality. It, it's supposed to be a, at least a measure for us to take stock of how much debt we have and its impact on the financial health and future of our country. But we usually just blow by it. And we just raised the debt. Now, granted, the real problem is our omnibus spending that's out of control. I mean, we've got to pay our debts. And if we don't, we lose credit worthiness and we have a sovereign debt crisis and uh, we default and nobody trusts our ability to repay it. And it gets 
it gets really bad really fast. So we needed to protect the good faith and credit of the United States and pay our our debts. But we needed to have fiscal reforms to start reining in the spending and also grow the economy. That's the other thing, Eddie. If we grow our economy by 1% over what CBO projects, which is a paltry 2% over the next 10 years, we will reduce the deficit by $3 trillion. So we 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 have a really a Texas two-step approach to restoring fiscal sanity in Washington and, and in and for our great country. And that's reining in and controlling spending in the out years and returning to pro-growth, pro-work, pro-energy policies that will get our country producing more in the output, creating more jobs. And generating more revenue. I mean, after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and regulatory relief and trade deals, basically pro-growth policies during the Republican years, we saw our GDP exceed 3%. And now CBO is projecting 2 So we've got to do all of those things. So it wasn't just cutting spending in the debt uh, deal. It was also a couple of other things, namely permit process reform, which sounds wonky, but it, 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 it takes several years to just get the permit because of environmental impact analysis uh, from the EPA and other bureaucracies, where it's going to cost hundreds of billions of more for big projects like pipelines for oil and gas or natural gas terminals to export, as Rick Perry says, the freedom molecule uh, to our allies around the world. To reduce that time, I've seen a report that suggests we'll save trillions of dollars over the next 10 years. A lot more we should have done, um, a lot more we propose to do as Republicans in my bill, repeal the 87,000 IRS agents, uh, rescind the executive order that bailed out student loans to the uh, to the tune of a half a trillion dollars. We couldn't get all of that and negotiate with with uh, uh, the likes of President Biden or Chuck Schumer. But you know what? We stopped the bleeding. We, we, we stopped the unbridled, reckless spending. And we got real economic reforms that will help this economy grow and, and, and help be part of the solution to getting our country on, on solid financial and economic footing in the future. In a, in a recent hearing of the House Ways and Means Committee, you were asking a witness about what actually is our policy with China. What is our relationship with China? They steal some of our intellectual property, they repackage it, and then they turn around and try to sell it back to us. How worried should we be with the Chinese government on not just those issues, but other issues? I, I think we should be very worried, um, and it is a multitude of issues related to our greatest adversarial threat, China. I think the economic war that they have declared basically against the United States probably in their mind suggests that they won't have to fire a single shot. There won't be a kinetic conflict, a traditional conflict. It will be more of watching the United States continue to decline and deteriorate because we have an insatiable appetite to grow the government and we have 
uh, no political courage to rein in our spending. And we continue to act and operate with naivete as our foreign policy uh, guide. Our North Star is to say, hey, what's the big deal that China buys up land around our military installations and other sensitive assets and collects information that might compromise our security? I mean, we haven't even passed a bill to prohibit the Communist Chinese Party and affiliates from buying up land around uh, military installations. We we can't even shoot a spy balloon down that flies over these same uh, assets and collects information for days. We should be worried that we have a, major, uh, a massive trade deficit. President Trump took that on, brought China to the table, dealt with some of the structural reforms that they needed to put in place, and they made a deal to purchase uh, a lot of our ag and energy. Well, that's gone by the wayside, I can tell you. Just like the USMCA, the largest trade agreement with our best trade partners, Mexico and Canada, that that great reformed trade deal that helped our workers, our ag producers, our manufacturers, that is not being enforced and implemented. So it isn't worth the paper it's written on because President Biden hasn't exerted any leadership on trade even the existing trade deals we've got, let alone opening new markets and, and opportunities for American uh, producers and manufacturers. I, I know that's a lot to take in, but the last thing I'll mention is not only do they commit unfair trade practices, and by the way, we we let them into the WTO thinking it would change and democratize their country. It didn't. I mean, now they've got an emperor who's constructed can can make plans to take over the world with the Belt and Road Initiative, and uh, they continue to manipulate the currency. They continue to steal our IP. We're just so stinking naive, and 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 this current commander in chief, and I, with all due respect to the office, I think we're being taken advantage of on, on so many fronts internationally. But but China's growing their 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 military bases they're expanding their territory and they've grown their military beyond beyond ours and they're getting more and more enhancements to their weapons of war um and 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 so we've got we've got to wake up in that regard too and so it's a it, that and china you just mentioned the two biggest threats i believe to the future of our great country and we're not doing enough on both but we're uh, at least have uh, uh, some folks in the House that are sounding the alarm and trying to wake our country up uh, to sending leaders that are going to be serious about addressing them. Lastly, I want to end on a, a political note. Uh, we're in the beginning stages of the 2024 presidential cycle. You made reference to uh, President Ronald Reagan's shining city on the hill, his vision for how he saw the country. How do you see the future of the country and what do you hope, what are you looking for in the next presidential nominee? I'm looking for um, number one, somebody that will fight and follow through because we're, we're, we're really at maybe the most consequential inflection point, certainly in recent history. And I've said it before, we're either going to renew our faith in freedom free people, free markets, free and sovereign states, and I'm simplifying, but that's really philosophically what it comes down to, 
or we're going to submit to the rise of socialism and the tyranny of big government. I think that's essentially the two paths in the fork in the road here. And we don't have the runway to not have people in the Republican Party that will that will push, fight, and follow through. Now, I will also add to this, we need someone like Reagan who will inspire a generation like I was inspired. You have the largest growing demographic in the Hispanic community, and we've seen a shift. It's not as significant as it needs to be, but you have a relatively conservative culture, subculture, with Hispanic Americans, but their political affiliation is traditionally with the Democrat Party. The opportunity is is tremendous. These good people are the hardest working, God-fearing people I know. They they want they came to this country or their parents or grandparents for freedom, for the quality of life we enjoy because of our freedom, for op- economic opportunity, and they're t- typically pro-family, pro-life. So they're the the they're you know they're uh, pre-positioned in their policy views and values to to support people on the Republican side of the aisle, but we have to inspire and engage in a way that makes that community feel a part of of what we have in in a, our vision for a, a safer, stronger, freer country. So I, I I'm looking for someone who can do that, bridge that gap. Uh, win those hearts and minds. So it is, it is a, it's like Nehemiah from the Bible, Eddie. He had one part sword and equal part shovel. You've got to do the hard work. You got to work with people of, of all along the spectrum to find common ground where you can. You've got to inspire people, but you also have to wield the sword and fight because we can't just be naive and think that the left is going to be any less energized and motivated to use every lever of power as we've as we've watched to try to change permanently this country the political landscape the the culture and the values so i i want equal parts inspiration and fight and i want somebody with the plan to get us out of this deep hole of debt that we're in so that we don't bankrupt the greatest country uh, the world has ever known that's what I'm looking for. Congressman Jody Arrington from the 19th Congressional District, Chairman of the House uh, Committee on the Budget. We thank you for joining us. Always great to see you, and I hope you'll come back. Eddie, you're a great American and a great friend, and it, I always enjoy being with you. God bless America, and go West Texas. That concludes our episode with Congressman Jody Arrington of the 19th Congressional District of Texas. This podcast is updated every other Tuesday. On our next episode, join us as we feature John Agather and Debbie Marino of the San Antonio Equity Alliance talking about the current state of San Antonio politics and the role the Equity Alliance is playing and the impact of their actions. As always, we thank you for listening.